Woodland Hills. God bless you guys. I'm Greg Boyd, teaching pastor here. I first want to uh, thank Dan, who just gave the announcements, uh, for doing a great job last week. Wasn't, he, uh, wasn't that a great sermon? And now you know that Jesus wasn't crazy, okay? So he, he got that, that said. I appreciate that message. I also want to give a heads up for next week. If it's possible to make it to the, to the service next week or tune in, I encourage you to do that. Uh, we'll, we're hosting a Jesus Collective event here on, on uh, Thursday and Friday. If you can make it to that, I'd encourage you to make it to that. Jesus Collective is this uh, organization that uh, Woodland Hills has something to do with in, in, in bringing this about. And uh, it's there to serve this, this revolution that's going on <coughs> around the planet. People are waking up to a Jesus-looking God, raising up a Jesus-looking people to change the world in a Jesus kind of way. And uh, we're starting to connect with each other, talk with, with, with each other. And so you're part of a movement. If you're part of Woodland Hills, you're part of this movement. And uh, this is a good way to check out what that movement's about. So you want to be here for that. One more thing before we get into our discussion. I want to give a little praise testimony. Um, we were singing about how praise sets you free and lifts your burdens. I mean, we just, it, that was just a powerful worship service. It really meant a lot to me because uh, last night we got robbed. <laughs> I woke up this morning and go out to the garage and the car's not there. And uh, yeah, they got in through the, somehow got into our garage, stole the car, then they got into our house and while we're sleeping and they stole the uh, laptop and my wife's purse and all sorts of stuff. And, you know, that, that kind of rattles your cage a little bit. Shelly in particular, uh, love you, honey. I don't know if you're watching right now. She's probably talking to the police. But, yeah, I had to leave her to come to here. Uh, so, sorry, honey, you got to deal with this. I got more important things to do. You know, <coughs> this earth has to go on. But anyways, during that worship set, I just felt the burden light lift. You know, I, it's just, uh, so praise God for that. Uh, praise really does. Uh, but we're not here to talk about me. We're here to talk about you. This is Bill Doherty. Give him a hand for being up here. I love this guy. Okay. <coughs> so uh, we're here to talk about, we're unraveling truth, and we're in the middle of this whole series and things like that. Uh, before we dive into that, we're talking about Jesus and the cult culture wars. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, and before you do that, let me tell you, them a little bit about you. Google this guy, Bill Doherty. Uh, he is, he, he, he's pretty famous, and when it comes to like sociological stuff, family therapy stuff, all that, uh, you've gotten some books out there, a lot of, I mean, you're in the news all the time. I've even seen you on television once in a while. I know that guy. Um, so you tell us, who is Bill Doherty? I'm famous in my own mind. There you go. A legend in your own mind. A legend. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, just let me just say I'm sorry what's happened to you. And your yeah, family. it happens. That's really, oh. Don't put your treasure on things on earth where yeah. moth and rust can corrupt and where thieves can break yeah. in and steal. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Scares, scares us all, and I feel badly for you. It's a what was, world. What was your question again? The question is, who are you? Tell us a little bit. Who, uh, who am I? Well, um, so I am um, a family therapist, marriage and family therapist. I teach at the University of Minnesota. Um, I um, um, grew up um, Catholic and, and um, uh, then left the faith, and we can talk about this sort of return. I know that's part of what we do here. But I see myself as, uh, as a... Um, a, 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 somebody who tries to bring p people together who are in conflict with each other, who don't understand each other, to, to find some common ground and to find each other. All right. And that works in the marriage, and it works in group context, and yeah. uh, you're just sort of a, a built-in peacemaker. Uh, you've written some books, even in the 90s and stuff. Uh, uh, tell us about a few of the books that you wrote. Uh, well, I've written books for uh, families, uh, called The Intentional Family, which is about family rituals. And I have a button up here. Can we do a close-up on the yeah, button? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Family which, rituals. Which is, so I've been working with a group of families here to put together a bedtime ritual, meal ritual, so families can connect with each other and to connect with the Lord. Uh, and so that's, so I've, I've written some books about that and written some books about other, about marriage and written books for professionals. So a bunch, a bunch of things. Um, uh, um, and so we should figure out who has written more books, Greg. You know, we could. Oh, yeah, a it's, it's a contest. There we go. It's yeah, you could Google all that. But if, if, it, if he beat me, then don't tell me. <laughs> <laughs> so, so now, uh, you had said that you had gone away from the faith. Yeah. Uh, you raised Catholic, but you left that. Um, and so when you were writing these books in the 90s on family rituals, uh, you weren't a Christian. That's right. That's right. So, this is, so you had, this is the thing I, I've just been amazed with you, Bill, is that um, it's a little, little known secret here that Bill's kind of new to the faith last couple of years, uh, and yet your framework, the way you look at the world, the, the, you know, the, the, the issues that you see are just so kingdom. Like you've got a kingdom mindset. I've just been amazed at how, how what you brought into the faith so complements the, the, the faith. So um, this whole series we've been in on called Unraveling Truth, uh, we've been looking at issues uh, that have driven people away from the church, why people stop coming to church or aren't interested or whatever. It might be a little bit refreshing to take a break from this because we've been talking about all the negative stuff for 14 weeks or whatever. You're an example of someone who's come to the faith. Um, in fact, I, I, what I love about it is you're, you're uh, 78 years young, and so you came to the faith when you were 76, right? Uh, which is even older than my dad. I thought my dad set the record. He came you thought he was a geezer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're even more of a geezer. A, 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 a older geezer than he is. A Jesus uh, you didn't geezer. have to agree with me on that, Craig. <laughs> that was my self put Gotta down. Gotta get a t shirt. You Jesus don't geezer. go with me when I put myself down for humor. You understand? <laughs> we'll, the we'll Jesus do, geezer. We'll, we'll do better in the interview if you keep that in mind. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, so, so, what was it that. Tell us a little bit about the story of you coming to faith. Well, I grew up in the most densely Catholic square mile in the United States, in Philadelphia. We had 3,300 children in the parochial school. Uh, and, um, and I went to a Catholic seminary back, back in the 60s. So, uh, I was, so you, you actually have a degree, a master's degree. Yeah, a master's in theology. And so I did not get ordained, but I was in seminary for seven years. So deeply into the Were you thinking about faith. becoming a priest? Oh, what? Thinking about it. I've spent seven years uh, studying to be a priest. I was in the seminary. And who's to blame for you not becoming a priest? <laughs> well, there's this thing that call, they call celibacy, which is a required, <laughs> a required course. <laughs> and uh, I wasn't, I kept flunking. Required course. course. But anyway. It never ends. Um, yeah. Um, so, um, so, I, I, so I stayed, I stayed a, a Catholic Christian for some years. And then when I went to graduate school in the social sciences and in the therapy area, um, I, I couldn't make sense anymore uh, out of the traditional dogmas of, of the faith. Uh, and um, I also found the, the role of the layperson in Catholicism lacking, if you will, very, very kind of clergy-centered. So I, um, I drifted away, and then I became a Unitarian Universalist, which is, uh, I, I remained a Unitarian Universalist for 30-some you know, years. And uh, there are many beautiful things about that religion. It's not a doctrinal religion. And so you're free to make up your own theology. Right, right. Okay? Which, which, which fit me fine uh, because I was no longer a Catholic, but I still saw myself as religious and spiritual. Um, and then that got old. Um, I'm not smart enough to figure it all out. Uh, and... Um, <clears throat> And so a big part of what happened, and Woodland Hills is part of this, this journey, I, I began to feel 
uh, that um, having my own religion, if you will, uh, was not satisfying. It wasn't. It didn't gauge my heart enough. Right. Uh, and um, uh, and so I began to actually about ten years ago. You and I haven't talked about this. I began to read theology again. I began to read about scripture, but more from an analytical point of view. Sure. Okay. Uh, so kind of waltzing around Jesus, if you will. So kind of figure this guy out. Jesus. You know. Um, and then. Um, uh, my daughter Elizabeth, who is here, Your daughter? Um, uh, she found Woodland Hills. She, she, we raised her as a good Unitarian Universalist. Apparently, um, you didn't because she well, showed up no. here. <laughs> Unfortunately, to think for herself, and then she thought her way out of the religion. There you uh, go. <laughs> good for you, Elizabeth. Yeah, and um, so she, she was a seeking um, some sort of more Christian foundation and tried a lot of churches and then landed here, and then she would tell me about this place. And she would tell me about these uh, geeky sermons that <laughs> you would do. You know, she told me about once she talked about quantum physics. And I thought, whoa, that's weird. And talked about it, quantum it, physics in the pulpit. And the, yeah, that's right. Um, but also a place where people bring their heart and have community. So I decided to sort of, you know, the great thing about online, check you guys out and that kind of thing. And, um, and so I began to feel at that point that there was a place I could come to engage my mind and my heart, that I didn't have to check my mind at the door. Yeah, that's great. Okay. Um, and then, then, then something began to happen. It was around the George Floyd time and, and, and those powerful months yeah. and the messages that you gave. I thought, there's a lot of courage in this place. There's a lot of courage to confront very difficult issues. That, that attracted me. And, and then I began to feel that the essence of being religious was something I had let go, and that is to be a follower, right? to be a follower. Right. So I was just looking back at the Gospels this last week. Jesus, practically his first recorded words were, follow, follow me, me. Right. to Andrew and Simon and Peter, follow me. He did that all. And he didn't say at the beginning, believe in me. Uh -huh. He didn't say behave like me. He said, follow me. That's good. Enter a relationship with me. Yeah. And that's what I felt like I needed. I needed to follow Jesus, not just study him. Amen. That's good. That's good. So studying did lead to a decision to follow. To, to follow. And, if you, and so heart and head and follow. And then I had some conversations with, with, with you and Paul Eddy, which was the last, great conversation. the last piece in this. Because uh, I was in Catholic seminary and we studied... Uh, Aristotelian, you know, notions of God and Thomas Aquinas. So I always had this image of God as the, uh, you know, the unmoved, the, mover, unmoved the metaphysical God, um, which um, it doesn't, en didn't engage my heart very much yeah. and gave me trouble intellectually because how does this God allow evil and all, all those sorts sure, of yeah, things. Yeah. So that was a stumbling block for me. And I remember in a conversation with you and Paul, you know, uh, during, during the COVID and on the line, uh, in which you said... Well, what, what you're doing and proposing is follow Jesus to God rather than God to Jesus. That's my words. That I could let go of trying to figure out the, you know, what God is, the creator of the universe, and, right, the, right. and follow Jesus, and Jesus takes me to God. There you go. So what I, what I began to realize, I could worship the God of Jesus, not the metaphysical. So in some ways, it was the, 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 the message of the centrality of Christ in defining God that drew you. 
That's right. Yeah, see, I, I think that's, that's huge for me. So many people come with a mental conception of what, what, what God is. They have a presupposition based on their upbringing or whatever. And then they, 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 they recast Jesus in light of that. Whereas I, I think the biblical approach is, no, keep your eyes. If you see me, you see the Father. Trust that. And, uh, and the metaphysics will kind of take care of itself. And then the last thing I'll say, and then we, I know we have other things to talk about, but on one of those calls, I kind of, with some tears, blurted out to you and Paul, I miss Jesus. I remember that. I miss Jesus. Yeah, he was yeah. a big part of my life. I let him go. He was hanging out. He came back, and I, I, I realized I missed him. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Uh, welcome home, the prodigal. You know, that, that's, but, you know, you, you, but you've always been a seeker. You, you yeah. know, that, that, that was always in your heart. That's clear. You're not trying to run from God or, you know, just have a defense for your immoral lifestyle or you know. we could talk about that another time <laughs> i want to have confession right here let's go back to the days. <laughs> pull back the veil here confess it all that's fantastic how did you view uh kind of christian churches or especially bible believing churches like yeah. woodland hills uh, before coming to the faith and and it, like from your perspective because it's fairly recent that you've been thinking inside the faith right what were the major obstacles to, to becoming a Christian just by basis of what you kind of saw in the church? Well, two, two things I saw. One is you had to check your mind at the door. Yep. Uh, you couldn't engage with issues of science, theory of evolution, Big Bang, and you had to check it at the door. And then an authoritarianism, uh, which is uh, don't question, don't doubt, just, yeah. uh, just obey. Right. Obey is not the same as follow. Follow right. Jesus, but the obeying whoever is in the pulpit. So th those are, and some of those are stereotypes. Um, but I also had some experiences of where uh, I, I did a project for two years with seven evangelical uh, covenant clergy on marriage. Oh. Uh, and I came to love them. Um, and so that was, so yeah. I just realized beyond the stereotypes, there's some power. And probably looking back on it, usually y y you can see like God was sowing seeds all yes, along the way. Yes, yes. And, and things that didn't seem significant at the time all of a sudden become like, man, that's, yeah. that, that made a difference there. And it kind of just, you know, God's strategy and just leading you here. That's fantastic. Okay, so you started uh, Braver Angels. Uh, and this is prior to coming to faith. So this is like in, what, 2016? Six, six years ago, 2016. So tell us why you started Braver Angels, what it's about, and um, yeah, how's it going? So, uh, yeah, so it was about a week after the 2016 election. Does everybody remember that little election? Yeah. Um, and, if you're older uh, than five, you probably Yeah, remember. right, right, right. Um, and uh, I got a call from a colleague of mine in New York City, David Blankenhorn. He and I had done work around fatherhood and marriage. And he told me, so he was the Upper East Side of Manhattan. He called another colleague of, of, of ours, David Lapp, who lived in southwest Ohio. And they talked about how people were feeling about the election in the Upper East Side of Manhattan where there was doom and gloom and the world was ending. Uh, and Southwest Ohio was hope and change, okay? A morning in America. Um, and they decided on the spur of the moment to get 10 Hillary Clinton voters and 10 Donald Trump voters together for 13 hours over a weekend in Southwest Ohio on December 8th to the 10th. That sounds fun. Well, they, yeah. So they called me and said this and I said, oh, that's brave. <laughs> um, what were you thinking of doing with them? 
and they said they didn't know, but they thought I could figure Duke that it out. Duke it out, man. Yeah, no. Well, that was it. I mean, what they said was, well, we'll get them together and see what happens. I went, no, no, it's a disaster happening. Um, and so um, they invited me to plan and facilitate this event. Oh. And it was, well, you're still laughing, it was very powerful. Really? Well, the first thing you do is you ask people why they came, and what people said is, we have a community run, the Southwest, uh, South Lebanon, Ohio. We have kids to raise and hospitals to maintain. And we, we can't keep fighting each other. We can't, this rancor is keeping us from running our life together. Mm -hmm. That's why they came. All right. Uh, and they were also concerned about uh, animosity in their families over politics. Okay. And so they came with open hearts. And we did a process together, which I thought would be a one-time thing, a great story to tell. Uh, but... They didn't want to stop. We didn't want to stop. Flew back, cashed in another frequent flyer ticket, flew back there. And we just decided to keep going. And then I came back to Minnesota and said, well, 13 hours is too long, you know, to scale something. So I designed briefer versions of this and then skills workshops and other things. And we just kept going. So six years later, we're, you know, it's, it's in every state in the country and a and, um, couple thousand workshops and uh, doing things with... Uh, elected officials, and it's just been, uh, um, I mean, now, now that I've, I, I see Jesus in it, okay? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Hello. And, yeah. Uh, so it's really quite, quite powerful. No, I, I, I had, you, you weren't framing it like this, but, but uh, in one of our conversations, and you were telling me about what Brave Angels is about, <coughs> and I, I, it just seems to me that that defines peacemaking. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, Matthew 5, 8, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, the people who go in and make peace where there's conflict. There's conflict there. Well, we want to try to bring a, a shalom presence to that and work things out. And, uh, and, and that's really what you are. I mean, you're, and I've, wherever Bill goes, Wilton Hills goes. And we're behind you. We've been so praying, you, praying for you and, and all these different things. And um, uh, referred to you as our peacemaker in Washington. You know, you're kind of, which is, I would imagine, the hardest place to be a peacemaker. Uh, that's a pretty toxic environment. And but, uh, what I've learned is that a lot of elected officials are hurting. Yeah. They are not enjoying themselves. Maybe some of the top people with most power are, but most of them, they don't, they're not having a good time. Uh, okay. This is a rancorous environment, and they're getting threats to themselves, their families. Mm. They have breakups in their families. We, we are a hurting nation. Yeah, we are. You are. So uh, Braver Angels has webinars. Like, what, what are the kind of things that you that, that, that put on? Yeah, so we have a whole series of workshops um, that some of them face-to-face. -face. We have a big presence here in Minnesota. You can go online, so just Google Braver Angels and do uh, Zoom workshops, which we, we got into after COVID came. Uh, and, and the idea is to not change anybody's mind about policy. It's if you're a good conservative, you come as a good conservative, you leave as a good conservative, liberal, centrist, whatever. Um, is to change our minds about each other. Because mm. we've come to disdain each other yeah. over political differences. And this is happening in families. 10% uh, of Americans, according to a recent survey, have had a cutoff from a family member over politics. Yep. Wow. Man, it's, it's, uh, it's so, so polarized. And the churches, the, I mean, just everywhere. The I, I, I would encourage you that... You get, get a moment, just Google Braver Angels, get on their website, and they have an archive a list of all the different seminars, webinars, and stuff they've had, debates that you've had, and, uh, and it's kind of mind-blowing. Uh, you know, I, I try to pride myself on being informed on both sides, 
but uh, I, I, I've been through a couple of, just listening to a couple of debates uh, that you've had on there, and man, it's uh, mind-expanding. Like, uh, you know, and it, it breaks stereotypes. I, right, I, I, right. I just love it. It just breaks stereotypes. Um, so what are some of the principles? And I, we're ambassadors of Christ, and so we, we are all called to be peacemakers in our own way um, and uh, uh, to manifest the character of our Abba Father as we advance the interests of the kingdom of God, which is different than all the kingdoms of this world. So we find ourselves here, and I'm speaking specifically of an American context, but to some degree it applies all over the place, wherever you're listening from. Um, we're in this intensely polarized situation. It's getting worse. Uh, the temperature keeps going up, and I'm not just talking about climate now. I'm talking about human angst and anger and all the rest. Um, what advice would you give us as we're trying to navigate these troubled waters? Um, and, and some of us have. I, I, I've got in my family, uh, they're not cut off, but a, a relatives who don't talk much to anybody else because they've they drank the Kool-Aid on the QAnon stuff, and they're evangelists on this, and, and that's all they want to talk about. So, you, like, how do you have parties together? If, and and, and uh, so I, 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 help us navigate some of that, because it's, it's, it's pretty complex and, 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 and troubling. Well, the, the things I want to talk about here are what I can say here in this Christian place, and that is that we talk about love, agape love, Yes. Um, and um, people who differ from us politically are humans like everybody else and deserve that. And, that with, and what that means to me is not just sort of I love you, brother, even though you're an idiot. Oh, yeah? I mean, not you personally. An um, idiot of unsurpassable worth. <laughs> of unsurpassable worth. Um, in other words, love with disdain um, isn't right. really what Jesus was talking about. So I, I talk about the, uh, I work this into one of the workshops, the four horsemen of polarization. And I know we're going to have a sermon series on the book of Revelation. That's right. So, That's okay. a, I'm, I'm listening here. Okay, four the horsemen. four horsemen. <laughs> the four horsemen of polarization, stereotyping, dismissing, ridiculing, and contempt. Stereotype, dismissing, ridiculing, and contempt for the 70 plus million people who, who were stupid enough to vote differently than I did in the mm -hmm. last election. That's not, that's, that's kind so I'm not talking about how we feel about a particular politician. I mean, you know, there are self-serving people out there in the world. But I'm talking about our fellow, our fellow citizens. And, and getting past those um, and understanding somebody in some depth, of having curiosity about their, how they came to where they are. So the four horsemen, again, are... are stereotyping, stereotype. dismissing, stereotyping. So that you are just you are a category. you are a representative of something else. Uh, you're one of those, right? Uh, dismissing, like why would I even bother? Oh, I've heard that before. Um, ridiculing, uh, and usually the ridiculing goes when you're not around, kind of, because I'd be afraid you'd get sure, right, right, right. punch me out. But ridicule when you're not around, you know nothing, and contempt, right? That that uh, you're a low life. Mm. I'm a I'm a higher life. Th those are toxic internal. Uh, feelings and attitudes that as I believe as citizens and as Christians we have to try to overcome one of our workshops is called depolarizing within yeah and this is kind of like in, in interiorized racism that that when we have these stereotypes in this mess of all those folks um, uh, and then what does it mean that I say I love them in general love on the ground means understanding S being curious trying to sit, walk in somebody else's shoes. It doesn't mean agreeing with them. Right, right. So the big thing I'm saying is that 
and it doesn't mean you have to be a centrist. You could be on the left or the right or whatever. It's like these fellow human beings who think and act differently than I do, can I seek to understand them and care for them uh, and listen to them? And here's what we know is that if I act that way towards others I disagree with, they are more likely to respond in kind. Yes, yes. More likely to respond. Yeah. It's hard. So part of what I love about having returned to Jesus and Christianity is that it's an endless quest to do better. Yes. See, when, when, I, uh, when I had my own religion, I thought I was pretty darn good. <laughs> I, sure I set my own bar, uh -huh. and I usually met it. In fact, I, I recommend that, folks. Uh, <laughs> just a thought. Just, just you set the bar, but the bar is really high. Never fully met no. in this life. So that's that's the quest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember one time after a service, service you came up here and you had said that one of the things you really enjoy about being in this community is that uh, we challenge ourselves, you know, and that we are the worst of sinners. And you know, whereas in other contexts, there's often a sense of uh, you talk about what they need to do and how they need to change and whatever. Uh, whereas in the kingdom, it always starts with yourself. Okay, how can I? And, 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 and the Apostle Paul, you know, he, towards the end of his life, he says, I still not have attained. I have not attained perfection. I'm still striving. And so if Paul hadn't gotten it down by the time he was towards the end of his life. I doubt any of us have got it down yet, so there's still room to keep on growing. You know, when, when you talk about those four horsemen, it, it seems to me that when you watch cable news, whether it's MSNBC or Fox or even some of the more extreme versions, that's about all you get. Yeah. I mean, it, it, if that's you think right. about it, you know, parse it out, it, it's, it, 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 it strikes me as like it's, it's, it's kind of a, uh, a, a group think here. You tune in. Uh, the people who tune in are already the ones who always agree. And you feel good because you're part of the right crowd versus those idiots who get it wrong and you care versus those idiots who don't care and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's, 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 it's a self-serving kind of a feeding frenzy. And that's what happens on the Internet. Everybody gets in their own silos and they get their pleasure centers of the brains activated because they're agreeing, everyone agrees with you. But that just hardens your categories. I remember you gave a series of sermons, I don't know if it was the judgment one or a series, but uh, about uh, judgment, the kind you're talking about, is a way to elevate myself. Yeah. That's what contempt and arrogance are. It isn't just that you don't get something that I get, it's that I am a superior person to you. And so we go around acting superior to each other. So then, you, you, let's say you get together for Memorial Day this Monday, and uh, you're having your family party, and uh, that niece or that uncle or that nephew, the grandpa or whatever comes, and they've drunk the Kool-Aid, and they like to fight about this stuff. Uh, and so they approach you. And they think, what do you think about these, you know, fill in the blank. Um, how should a, a, a Jesus follower respond? Uh, if someone comes, they want to debate you on this. They want to fight. Uh, say, what's wrong with you? Join braver angels. <laughs> there you go. It's that easy. should have a little track. Okay, we, track. We, we can move on now. Uh, <laughs> no. Yeah, um, um, what, what, one of the things is to... Let go of changing their mind. Let go of the idea that anything that I say is going to change somebody's mind who is, who is convinced and who is part of a community. And by the way, this is not just people on the, on the right. There's people on the left as well. Absolutely. Okay. Whenever we have a community that has become insulated from ideas from the outside, 
Um, the notion that I'm going to change somebody's mind. It's very liberating to let go of trying to change a family member's mind. It's never going to work, by the way. It's never going to work. People will go to their grave before they if say... If anything, it tends to be counterproductive. You solidify them solidify more. It. The more you fight them, they double That's down. That's right. That's right. right. And so the classic, if there's like one skill, if you choose to engage, sometimes you just don't engage. Um, but if, if you want to engage in, in dialogue across disagreement, the, the, what I call the prime directive, like out of Star Wars, the Sweet Teaching Brave Angels, is connect first and then share your view. Connect first. Connect first. So let me, let me see if I'm getting what you're saying, Greg, on this. But you're saying this. Um, uh, did, did I get that right? This is okay. your view about that. How did you, how did you come to the view? Yeah. See, one of the things I've learned is that when people have passionate political views, or views about almost anything that's passionate, there's a story behind it. Yes. There's a story Everyone's behind it. Everyone's got a prequel. Everyone has a prequel. Uh, and so you could approach somebody in your family, not from the point of view that you're going to convince them to change the mind, but you could convince them to learn more about the story. Mm. That, that, that is so liberating. I think it's, it's part of our hubris that we think, I'll change their mind, uh, you know, and, and, we, and we take the prerogative of God. Like, we're, I, I'm so smart, I'm so clever, I'm so right, I'll go in there and I'll convince you that I'm right. And like you said, it's usually counterproductive. It, it, you know, one way of thinking about it is that if Paul says, and I say this all the time here because it's so important, 1 Corinthians 16, 4, whatever you do, do it in love. And so that's got to be our bullseye. Mm-hmm. That's the bullseye. That, that They may have the point of the conversation to change your mind, but from our perspective, the goal of this conversation primarily is for me to manifest the character of Abba Father by the way that I dialogue with you. And I love what you said about how, you know, I, I, love isn't this abstract, you know, thing. It, 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 it's always concrete. To love you is to love you in your particularity, not just as a representative of the human race. And, and so that is to be interested in you, curious about you, what makes you tick, what makes... And, and to respect that you're a full human being and, 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 you know, God gives you the freedom to believe what you believe. So I've got to agree with God and give you the freedom to do that. And so I want to just learn how to get inside of there and, and, and see where that goes. I think empathy is, is, is number one. It's also the hardest one, though, if you really are into hating that position. Like you right, really, right. that's part of who you are. Right, right. Man, to sit down and patiently listen as a person unpacks that can be hard. But that's where you really start to humanize them. Yes. And... Uh, so why do you think this is so important? Uh, like, like, what is, um, if this doesn't happen, what happens? Well, if we can't talk to each other, the only alternative is violence at go. the national level. So people, let's talk about some objections to what I'm saying, okay? And, and w- one of those is that some positions really um, really foment evil. And there are, yeah, I mean, there are. What do you do with evil? If it's like, yeah, yeah, really harming people. Yeah. Well, first of all, it's separating what I see as evil from the person so that they are not the embodiment of that evil. Uh, and, and in Braver Angels, what we, it, it took us about four years to come to this, but we say that we'll talk to anybody, no matter what their view, if they are willing to follow the ground rules for the conversation. That to say that there's some folks who are outside of the pale of engagement um, is to put them into the outer darkness where they will foment violence. Mm. And so we either have the conversation or we end up 
um, in a people talk about civic divorce, national divorce, you know, right. or, or or violence. Now that doesn't mean that everybody has to be in the conversation. If you come from a, a Jewish family that had people die in the Holocaust, you're not necessarily the one who would be in the conversation with the Nazi. Okay, right. So it's not everybody for every conversation, but somebody has to talk to your. Young, you know, the young cousin who is in the neo-Nazi part. Somebody has to. And find out what the heck is going on with him and what his story is. Right. Um, or we just send people into that darkness and we end up in violence. I, I, that's just, it's so simple, but it's so true. Uh, if you're not going to dialogue, you, you kill them. I mean, that, that's the, or silence them some other way. You have to win. You, either you're going to be talking or you have to just be fighting, and you can't have a country if all you're doing is fighting. Yeah, and, but then you have to have ground rules. Yeah. <clears throat> so we've had a, you know, a few thousand workshops and debates and other things over the years, and, we have gra and I've been the one who I developed a lot of the workshops and trained the moderators. And so we have ground rules, and if you come, you're willing to take turns, you're willing to not interrupt people, you're, you're, you're willing if the question... What well, if you like to interrupt people and this is kind of how you get your point across, huh? <laughs> exactly. You know, <laughs> uh, you should be in my shoes. Yeah, there, I know. You know. Uh, <clears throat> um, uh, so it's not like anything goes because I you don't have the right to, to, uh, right. Uh, to treat me with contempt in the conversation. Right, I'm going to okay. stop you. So, by the way, I mean, we have in our skills workshops, we have skills for difficult moments. How to, how to bring the conversation to a conclusion if the other person is not participating constructively, mm -hmm. okay? Um, so love means I you know, have to have good boundaries. Otherwise, it's, it's not really love if I let you take advantage of me. But if people are willing to come <coughs> and participate under our ground rules, uh, we will let them in. Is there any danger of, like, uh, like I, I totally agree with that, but there's context in which that would happen, mm -hmm. and... I would think, but let me know, that there's, like, here at Willing Old Church, I mean, I, I will personally talk to anybody. <clears throat> if you worship Satan, I'll talk to you. I, but I wouldn't, talk, I wouldn't talk about you on stage. Yeah, that's uh, right. So there's a, because that would legitimize something I don't want to legitimize. That's right. And that's a concern a lot of people have, is to be in dialogue, it, 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 it might seem like all views are equal. But if you really believe this view is evil and dangerous and harmful, um, then you don't see it as, as, a, as, yeah. as a legitimate thing. It's a very important objection and concern uh, to what we're doing in Braver Angels. And so what we have clarified is that we're interested in differences that relate to public policy, um, just as you might be interested in differences relate to theology. So it has to deal with public policy. So uh, people always say, well, would you have a debate on whether the Holocaust occurred? Um, the answer is no, uh, because that's not a public policy issue. There's some folks who, mm. you know, into that kind of theory. Uh, we wouldn't debate flat earth theory. That's not a public policy. Glad to hear. Right? Yeah. I mean, but NASA is not engaged. Their, their budget is not related to, uh, to flat earth theory. So it has to relate to public okay. policy. There have to be a lot of people in the country, including visible leaders who, who hold a position so uh, we had a really a kind of a crisis in Braver Angels uh, after the uh, the um, last election, presidential election, around the question of whether the election was stolen. Yep. And so uh, some of our debate leaders said we need to have a debate <clears throat> on whether the election was stolen. 
and we had a number of members on the, we talked about red and blue on the blue side, who said to have that debate is to legitimize a lie. Right. Okay. And so we really tangled with that, and we decided to go ahead because this is, in fact, in the public discussion. It has policy implications for, for, for you know, voting laws. Uh, it's a national discussion. Um, and if we say that some people who, you know, we th if I think it's a lie, you think it's true, I'm going to decide we cannot discuss it publicly. Um, and so what we did was we actually, prior to the debate, we had a podcast debate among our members about whether we should have the debate. All right. And we had people, you know, using our, our method, saying, no, we should not have the debate. Others said, yes. We went ahead with it, and then one of the guys who thought we should not even be discussing it was one of the people in the debate. Hmm. His position is, we should not be doing this. Mm -hmm. So we made room for the people who said we should not be talking about it. It was, one, it was one of the finer hours. It must have been. <laughs> it was one of the finer hours, yeah. It sounds like it. And one other thing I want to add in here, because another objection that people have to what we're doing is, well, there, aren't there just facts? And, and, you know, and, you know, is everybody's facts, they're just, they're, everybody's entitled to their own facts kind of thing, you know? The, right. And, um, and here's where I, I've come down on that, that policy, most of us, very few of us, have direct access to policy-relevant facts. So you've been talking about the climate change, for example, okay? You and I are just talking about voter things. Th those are, uh, 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 only the people who study that stuff are in direct contact right. with the information. Policy-relevant facts depend on who we trust as experts yes. and authorities. So I don't need somebody else to tell me I'm sitting here with you. That's not a policy-relevant fact. But of, around, around social policy, around... Uh, say, government uh, funding for early childhood education, for example, that's based on research that changes over time, people's interpretations of it, climate change, all of these. So the, 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 the fact that we don't agree on facts comes from the fact, from the reality that we don't trust the same sources. Right, right. So what do you do about that? I mean, that's, I mean that is the, the problem right. in a nutshell is you've got people who are now, the, the, the domain of shared reality, shared facts has been diminishing and, and everyone's coming up with their own alternative set of facts. They even talk that way now, well, we've got alternative facts. Um, and, and that's what causes me to have some despair about the future of this country is because I don't know how you walk that back. Um, uh, but you're saying that it would just be if dialogue. It's, if it's about trust, if, if facts are about trust, policy-relevant, complex facts are about right, trust, right. we build trust. That's where we work. Okay. And so um, I, I did a workshop recently for family physicians who've, who've been struggling uh, during the pandemic and, you know, with people coming in, patients saying, you know, you're wrong about vaccines, you're wrong about masking, you're wrong about right, social right. distancing. And in fact, maybe you're part of the group who is trying to control us. Right. This is like a long-term patient here who's now coming in lecturing their doctor about this, okay? Right. <clears throat> so physicians can no longer assume social trust around these things. So w what I was teaching them to do, and, and a lot of the best docs already do this, is to say, tell me, tell me more about your own, your belief, 
and where that comes from. Tell me about your sources of right. information. Wow. And then I tell you about my sources of information, the CDC or whatever, I've looked at the research, and then say my concern for you, now this is the concreteness, you're my patient, I'm concerned about you, I'm worried for you uh -huh. with your risk factors that if you don't take these precautions, you could be in trouble. Right. But where, where, where are your sources of facts? And then don't jump on that. Your source of fact might be your brother-in-law, okay? Mm. It might be a website somewhere, and, and instead of just uh, disrespecting somebody, having contempt for them, that's where they came from. Uh -huh. Let me tell you my sources and why I trust those. Okay. We're having a conversation now about trying to keep trust between us. Yeah. And yeah. then I might say, could you send me a link to what you, right. and would you be open to me giving you some of the, what the information that I have? Okay. So we've met as human beings. That's good. That's good. So you find the common ground, which yes. is our, it's common humanness, and, right. and build a trust there, and then that can, but all the while, you're not trying to change them. Your goal is to understand them uh, and love them as, as a human being. Well, the doctor is trying to change them. I thought you said that we're not supposed to change people. Well, that was the doctor. So in certain roles... You're contradicting yourself. I am not. <laughs> uh, you, we're going to vote on this, whether I'm contradicting myself. I'm not. I am. So I, am not. I was talking about your family member, your friend, oh, okay. whatever. Okay. But if I'm your physician... I got you. Then, in those contexts. You know, and you're, not, you're, take, you're at risk. I got uh, you. My job is to try to influence sure. you. But how to do it with respect right, right. and trustworthiness. Yeah. And then keep that love as the bullseye instead of being right. Okay, uh, did I? I did not contradict myself. <laughs> okay, I, I, I'll even grant you didn't contradict yourself. Okay, okay so you know, our, our ultimate hope, we always say, is, is, is in Jesus coming back and establishing his eternal kingdom. At the same time, the Bible tells us to be peacemakers in this world right now, yeah. to do good in the city, however you, you, you see it. And, um, um, and that's why I think your work as a peacemaker is, is really important, especially, I don't know who else is doing this, you know, trying to help Washington from imploding in on itself. Um, so can you tell us, tell us maybe one or two stories about like, how God's opened up doors for you to speak into Congress and senators and, and, and whatnot? Just, uh, yeah, so and, and I want to share this so that it's on people's radar screens so they're praying for you when you're out there because yeah. this is important stuff. Yeah. Well, actually, can I start with the prayer request right away? You can do whatever you want. So I have a proposal into the governor, and I'm expecting a decision from his people this next couple of weeks for a statewide initiative called Reduce the Rancor Minnesota. Reduce the Rancor Minnesota. Which I'm asking, I did meet with the governor, uh, to find a, uh, recruit a prominent Republican to co-host uh, an initiative to reduce the rancor and get faith communities involved and businesses and, and so on. So they're thinking it over and I'm hoping to know soon about that. And, and you were t telling me that, so you wanna bring mu Muslims, Jews, Christians. Well, the other one we have, we're, we're now having faith communities who are getting interested in, in, in this depolarization issue. Uh, and so we now have a faith community initiative where, diff where different congregations are embracing our workshops and then surrounding them with their faith message. So the workshop would still be the, our workshop, which are secular, but to have a kind of a wraparound of prayer and, and deepening about why as a Christian, why as a Jew, why as a Muslim, is it so important that we do this work. So that's a, that's a really important thing that's, that's happening. Can you just imagine, I mean, this is, I mean, can you just imagine what it might be like if, if, uh, 
Yeah, we, in, in this increasingly secular culture which we find ourselves, increasing polarization, it'd be amazing if it was faith communities uh, coming together across faith, not just denominations, but yeah, religions, right. but saying, hey, we together as human beings uh, know that this is not an acceptable, tolerable situation. We know that God doesn't want this. And if, if that was what began to turn this around uh, and, and bring people out of their silos and begin to reverse the trajectory yeah. of, of this, that'd be an amazing thing. Well, Bill, you know, what, what you're doing is, I, I, I have so much respect for it. I sometimes joke about him being Captain America because uh, I, I tend to be, you know, pretty pessimistic about where this country is going, but uh, you give a little hope in this thing. You're out there trying, you know, and, and I don't know whether you're gonna be, how successful you're going to be, but you're doing the right thing and, and uh, in, in the hardest context that, to do it. And so keeping hope alive, and that's some of what I've gotten from our messaging here at Woodland Hills, um, you know, we're getting worse and worse, uh, and if you think about Jesus' life, it got worse and worse. It did. And so if from the worst place, place can come the restoration and so can I tell you end with a little Please story do. or two yeah so two brief stories um, uh, I, I did a, a workshop with uh, members of the New Hampshire State Legislature uh, and we call this a red blue workshop where we had them eight Republicans eight Democrats come together and a core part of this was everybody in small groups got to have five minutes to answer this question what life experiences <clears throat> have influenced your values and beliefs about public policy and public service? What life experiences have influenced your values and beliefs about public policy and public service? They all had time to prepare <clears throat> uninterrupted. And there was a Democrat sitting on my left who talked about growing up in a family, his father abandoned the family, his mother had suffered with paranoid schizophrenia. He and his siblings bounced around the foster care system for a lot of his childhood. And that became a driving <coughs> goal for him to, in getting into public life was to make a difference for these kids. Mm. And he was doing it through government programs and so on that, that could help these kids and families. He no sooner finished <coughs> than a Republican sitting over here said, I don't, oh my God, I can hardly believe this. I grew up in the foster care system. Mm. My family fell apart. And my siblings and I were in that system, and it was terrible. And that was a driving force in his life. Wow. He took not the, the government program approach, but the voluntary sector, the, the nonprofit sector, the faith sector. He got into labor unions to try to help people have jobs. So policy-wise, they took different yeah. paths, but they were driven same by heart. the same yeah, heart. Yeah, 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 then yeah. the last story is the workshop with members of Congress. If you want to feel hope, and the big thing now is keeping hope alive, there's yeah. something called the Problem Solvers Caucus, which is a group of about 30 Republicans and 30 Democrats in the House who have lunch every week, and they try to work on bipartisanship. So they invited Braver Angels to do a workshop. <coughs> I did that exercise. <coughs> Excuse me, did that exercise with them. And um, people, just, they told their life stories. and. There was not a dry eye in the room wow. when people finished telling the stories of family members who were killed in the Holocaust and what that meant, and the death of a parent and his young child. Uh, inspiration. For mm -hmm. Somebody talked about growing up in poverty, uh, and his mother took him at age nine to the state house in California and said, you could be here someday. Mm. Uh, and so uh, just great wow. stories. 
<clears throat> there, was a, there was a guy when they introduced himself, uh, a Republican from West Coast State, who introduced himself and he said, I am as conservative as the day is long. Yep. Okay? Uh, and at the end, <clears throat> as we checked out and asked people what they took from the experience, he said, you can't fight somebody in the same way when you know their heart. Wow. You can't fight somebody in the same way when you know their heart. And folks, there were cameras present. USA Today was recording this, and they still got to that level of depth and intimacy. And so you can't trust somebody, you can't, you can't fight somebody in the same way when you know their heart. Uh, that's it, that's it. Take time to get to know their heart, establish that connection. Dude, I so appreciate you. I am so glad that you're part of Woodland Hill Congregation. Me too. That you've come to Christ and that uh, you're using your gifts, you know, on behalf of the kingdom now. That's fantastic. Give it up. So check out Braver Angels, check out Family Rituals, which is coming up. We're going to have that here. I think we're just so blessed to have that as part of, you know, how can families integrate the kingdom into their daily life? That's, that's just so important. Um, and, 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 and keep this man and that organization in prayer, uh, where they go, Woodland Hills goes. Uh, we've got the MuseCast at 4 o'clock on Tuesdays. Make sure you check that out if you can. And uh, they go a little deeper with this. Who knows what they're going to talk about. We've got the gathering groups where you get to meet people from different communities and stuff and discuss the stuff. And uh, we got prayer up front. If you, any need you have for, uh, for prayer, uh, we encourage you to come up here in the other, or online. You can get uh, prayer needs ministered to that way. God bless you guys. I'm so glad you're here. Jesus Christ is Lord. We're called to be peacemakers. Let's go out and spread the good news and love on people. Amen.